Hello, Connected Parents, and welcome to another episode of Connected Parenting. Today's episode will be part of our guest series, and I am thrilled to introduce a friend of mine, a brilliant psychiatrist, Dr. Omid Naim. Dr. Naim is a Western-trained psychiatrist who came to see the need for more holistic, spiritual, and community-based approaches to mental health care. He believes in the importance of connection, shared human understanding, and sees working through unresolved family trauma as a way to build resilience and better mental health. The following is my conversation with Dr. Naeem. Hi, everyone. I'm Jennifer Kaleri. I'm a child and family therapist and a parenting coach and the founder of Connected Parenting. And welcome to the Connected Parenting Weekly Podcast. Join me every week and we'll tackle everything from temper tantrums to bedtime to sibling issues to teenage angst. Parenting can be so wonderful, but it can be so hard. Parents often say to me, hey, can you just come live at my house? This is the next best thing. Let's do this together. So before we get started, I want to introduce everyone to Dr. Naeem. Dr. Naeem completed his general psychiatry and child and adolescent psychiatry residency at the University of California, San Francisco, and went on to work in community psychiatry with the most high risk and severely ill youth in the country coming out of foster care. Witnessing the high degree of trauma in this population being neglected as a root cause, he saw the limitations of modern psychiatry and biomedical model of symptom management with psychoactive medications. Seeking more holistic and empowering approaches led him to further studies in integrative medicine as a Bravewell scholar at the University of Arizona under Dr. Andrew Wheel. In his clinic, Hope Integrative Psychiatry, he has created a new model and theory of health through a trauma-informed ecological lens where science is transformed into wisdom tradition where storytelling is the foundation of healing, guiding a multi-modal approach for whole person transformation and complete recovery. He then founded the Lameda Project, a nonprofit whose mission is addressing the mental health crisis through healing and our connection to self, community, purpose, and the natural world. The Lameda Project argues that the root cause of our epidemic of mental illness in the Western world is a problem with the way that we are living and the stories we are telling about human nature and fulfillment and designs programming using the ecological trauma-informed theory of health to serve as models for individuals, families, communities, and organizations to become ecosystems of optimal health and well-being based on our innate human nature. So welcome, Amit. I am so excited about our conversation today. I've been looking forward to it. We've had some other conversations prior to this that have been really deep and interesting, so I'm looking forward to seeing where we go. Um, the What I'm hoping to kind of Set the, well, I want to set the framework this way that, you know, our, I'm hoping that my or our contribution at Connected Parenting in some small way in this world is to give parents tools, to give a framework to help them to raise happier, healthier kids who are more emotionally resilient, have better emotional literacy, and who are better equipped to handle things in whatever environment they're in. And that's sort of the hope for the future. Kids for sure are our best resource, but we've got to support parents who are also struggling to do that. So maybe we can start there, but also I'd love for you to talk a little bit about what you do, yeah. what you're bringing to the world, and then we'll kind of start with that framework. Yeah. Um, you know, I think where it can, it can sync up is, um, is around, you know, why, why are we, why are we having so many problems? Why are our mental health uh, statistics just getting worse and worse. Like, why is there a problem? Like, yeah. so I'm a, I'm a, I'm a Western trained psychiatrist. I studied medicine here at, in the U S and then did adult. And then I did child and adolescent psychiatry. So really focusing on kids and families. And, um, I then studied integrative medicine because I really felt like there was a, um, a lot missing, you know, people were not getting better. And integrative medicine meant I learned how to look at things more holistically, looking at food and lifestyle and, you know, things like that. And, uh, but what I came around to was seeing that the big missing picture was um, really community and lack of connection. And then, um, and this is where it kind of comes back to what you're saying in terms of what I want to say to what you're saying is, um, you know, it wasn't always this way. Like we're, people have, I think a majority of people have an idea that that mental health disorders are um, these fixed chemically 
imbalance, genetically-based issues. And that's not the case. That was never actually proven. It's been disproven. And so then the, and then the broader thing is that, you know, this, it's not that we're uncovering more problems now, you know, the, that, that story that it's like, well, there's more diagnosis and people are on medication more is because we're actually like talking about these problems, but that's actually not true either. You know, it's not true because when you look at disability rates, which is like people who are really disabled by mental health issues, you look at hospitalization, you look at suicide, um, all these things over the last hundred years, you know, and then when you look at other countries who are not living a Western lifestyle, um, and then if you look at countries like China that rapidly are Westernizing, and then you see suddenly within 10, 20 that years, arc, yeah. anorexia and obesity both suddenly show up in 10, 20 years, you know, mm -hmm. suddenly um, there's a lot more suicide and things like that. So, you know, it's that it's that there's a problem there is a problem with the way we're living. That's mm -hmm. what I, you know, I came to found at our clinic hope, a model that, that really successfully helps people um, based on the idea that we can change our, our, ourselves and heal and grow. And then there's a nonprofit that we formed as well, Lameda project that tries to spread this, um, this approach. And the main thing, you know, we talk about is this is a problem with the way we're living and that we're not going to solve this with more, services we're not going to solve this with more medication and more psychotherapy we have to change the way we take care of ourselves the way we, you know at the level of the individual and the family that you're mm -hmm. talking about i think is where the change has to happen is that we have to really examine like there's a lot of great things we have in western culture but maybe there's um, certain aspects of how we um, relate to ourselves and each other our children, each other, and our families—you know—the mm -hmm. way, way we structure our lives—that's um, leaving us uh, less resilient and uh, more prone to stress, trauma, grief, building up, shame, mm -hmm. things like that. Yep, absolutely, absolutely. And I often think that if we can't figure it out in our own families, like if we can't see the nuances mm -hmm. and have conversations that are not so polarized and find the nuances and work through emotions and feel supported. If we can't figure it out in our families, how on earth can we do it as a country or a planet, <laughs> right? So it, it, it really does speak to, there's a whole resource there, you know, how to feel loved, how to create and, and raise children that feel secure and loved and how to do that. And to your point, I think, you know, so often in our world, we think things are better and we have so much more, but we've lost something I think really important and it's yeah. showing up in the mental health statistics. So I think that's a pretty important place to start. Um, you know, you touched on community, which I think is so important. And I want to kind of touch on that for a moment, but I was thinking if you go back, I don't know, maybe a hundred years ago, 80 years ago, there was just naturally more of a sense of community. Like I remember as a little kid, not that I'm that old, but you know what I mean? I would go with my parents and we'd go shopping and we'd go to the butcher shop and you'd talk to the butcher from, how's your aunt? How's this? How's that? And then you'd go to the, you know, the fruit and grocery store. And then you'd go to the, you know, the post office. And you had these touch points with other people in the community and yeah. other adults in the community where you just felt part of something. And I think thing and is very simplistic, but we've lost some of that. Yeah. And now you go to big box stores and you don't see the same people. You might see the same people at your coffee shop, but even that's drive through. So yeah. I think we've lost something really important and I'm not sure how to bring that back. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I think that first to, to like riff on or just to share the, you know, like yesterday I was at Costco and, um, and I love Costco actually because they actually you can tell there I, I I appreciate companies that I can tell that their culture is actually really good. Like mm -hmm. you can the way people relate to the employees, mm -hmm. see the way they talk to each other. Yeah. Yeah. Not to like promote a business. But like I also love Southwest. Like you can tell and, and I've looked into it. They're known for actually cultivating yes. cultures that are really connected. And then I saw, you know, they're actually half of the aisles have become self-checkout. And then I thought the same thought, just here's one less point of interaction. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, a hundred, hundred years ago, the average home in America had 13 people in it. Yeah. 
Um, and we talked to like my parents, our, our parents, grandparents' generation, there was always, you know, an aunt, an uncle, a grandparent. And what, so then the thing is like, how do we bring that back? Like, what is it we're bringing back? So that's what, you know, the, what, what our model like at Lameda is talking about is like, what are these ingredients? So mm -hmm. I think what that is, is it's both accountability and support. It's not mm -hmm. it's multiple eyes that are looking out for you, which means that your, your brain stem, your midbrain, these places that regulate stress, that feel safe or and we're in proximity to people that we know well enough that we can mm -hmm. trust their behavior. We mm -hmm. know so we can relax around them. Sure. And that brings us out of that chronic states, you know, chronic stress state that we can live in. Yeah. Um, but I think it's also accountability. You had multiple people, you know, I, I that are like that you have to pull yourself together for. Yeah. And that's important that's too. Point. You know, like yeah. I see in my own home and most people's homes, there's like this accepted, you know, my kid kids say when they act really bad, I say, you know, that's not okay to talk that way. And they say, well, but dad, we're, we're, we're not outside. And I'm like, they have a view and I'm like, and that's true. Like that you are more yourself at home, which means you can be rude. You can yeah. be mean. You can, <laughs> you can let it all out. You can let it yeah. all out. And that's supposed, and I, and I don't think that's actually the normal way. Actually, I think like, oh, I agree. I think I agree. like in community, you know, in community, you have to, yeah, you have to be your best. You have to work. You know, well, and wouldn't it make sense that the people you love the most get to some degree, the better version of you, <laughs> right? And we have it, we have the inverse, we have it flipped. I mean, you, so, I mean, there's so much to, to talk about here, but, you know, talking about families that had, you know, multi-generational families, or at least lived in blocks where your neighbors and were friends and family were all around you and you interacted with each other. Yeah, That's really, it really does take a village. It really does. It, it is, this is not, parenting is not a job meant for two people and, or one person. I mean, it's what ends up happening. Yeah. But, and then you have parents that are stressed and working and coming home and giving everything they can to their jobs. And then they come home at six o'clock at night and they're cooking and they've got homework and kids are screaming and everybody's dumping their day on everybody else. And home doesn't, isn't necessarily this place where you're, I have lots of parents that say to me, I love my kids, but I sit in the driveway for 10 minutes before I go in like deep breathing. Cause I know I'm going to get he and she screamed yeah. and the dishwasher wasn't emptied and the yeah. dog wasn't let out and all of this stuff. Right. So we've kind of got it. It's trying to figure out how all of us can really bring that safety and that security and love that needs to be there in our homes so that we're energized enough to be decent people outside of the home. Yeah. Well, that's what you're, what you, what your, your client, I think you meant who sits in the car, that's actually really wise. Mm -hmm. It is. Is to first get regulated. Absolutely. Absolutely. First, yeah. Yeah. Is yeah. To first get regulated. I mean, there's more in there, which is like, something's not working if I'm dreading going in there. Yeah. Yeah. You know, but how many no, but that, that transition point is important. I tell parents that go for a walk first, go, go sit in your car and listen to music, do whatever you can to decompress from the day, come yeah. in knowing that your kids are going to run at you and tell you everything that's wrong. Sometimes not always, but often, and you have to be present, aware with them. And then you can say, Hey guys, I got to answer my emails or take off my coat or do whatever, like know what's waiting for you when you walk through the door. But yeah. It's true. If it's too extreme, if you're literally sitting in the car, deep breathing, dreading going in your house. Yeah. No problem. See, I, I think, and I'm going to, it's risk, maybe risky for me to me to speak for moms, but I, I'm going to speak on behalf of a world expert of attachment theory, Alicia Lieberman, who, mm -hmm. who taught at um, UCSF where I did my residency. She came and she spoke to our graduating class. And she said, you know, I want to speak to the mothers, the women here who are going to become mothers. She's from uh, Venezuela or Chile. And she, she said, you know, I think that women in this country really have it extra hard because you're told you have to be this perfect mom who never gets upset. And you have to be all giving all the time there at home. And there's this pressure to um, have a career. And that's a valid thing you want too. 
And I'm bringing up that story because it's, I think that's a lot of it too, is like we're, we're, we're being given so many messages on what to do and how to be, mm -hmm. you know, it's like how many moms don't take that 10 minutes to breathe, take that walk, take some time for themselves or yeah, fathers absolutely. too. Yeah. Men are, men are, I mean, right now in my practice, men are, men are actually drowning. Yeah. I see that too. Much more practice. than women. I, yeah. I, I see men struggling much more than women now. We could talk about that and, yeah. how, and their role in families and parenting and things like that. But, but um, for both of them, it's just like, how many times have I chosen to read another article that tells me what to do? And it's like, we're inundated with yes, that's what, so to true. Do, what to do, what to do, what to do. And, yeah. Yeah. and it's too much information and, and um, you know, not enough time just being still, which. It's, it's true. And and some of that information is is wonderful and lovely. If I think about the kind of spiritual movement and you know, how important it is to be aware and be conscious. And I think what I see, I see this in my practice for sure. So coming back to moms, you know, they're often, and it's not that men don't do this or dads don't do this, but women are often consuming a tremendous amount of information, right? They really want to do their best. And if I do my workshops and it's primarily moms that show up, I mean, there's a few one dads that are there, yeah. but it's mostly women. And if I go and do a speaking engagement, I would say 80% of the audience is women. Yeah. So they're, and they're looking at all this stuff and hearing about all these, you know, got to look inward and you have to control your emotions and you can't do this because it's going to harm your child. And, and yeah. they take that on, on top of everything else. Right. Right. And it, what's hard about that movement, which I think has been better for men than women, actually, I think it's helped men become softer and get more in touch with their kind of feminine side and be more comfortable with emotion in some ways. And and I think for women, it's just added to the guilt. Well, now I can't yell at all. Like now I read all these books and I've gone to all these workshops and I screamed at my kids this morning, what a horrible person I am. And I've had so many moms that just are in tears saying I'm a horrible mother. And first of all, a horrible mother would never say that. Um, yeah. But the truth is, I think they're they're carrying that. And, and I think that's a really heavy thing for them. Yeah. And they put their own needs aside all the time. And, you know, one of my messages to moms is you, you have to regulate also, you have to take time. Also, you have to take care of yourself that because your kids are watching you, you're teaching them. So what are you teaching your daughters? What are you teaching your sons? Right. Yeah. So I think that's one part of the conversation. And I think I also see with, I see a lot of dads suffering. I see a lot of men who have stuffed down emotion their entire lives, right. Mm. You know, shouldered, everything really, you know, been trying very hard to keep their own stuff out of the picture completely to the point where they're often out of touch with it. Yeah. And then as the world has kind of moved to being softer and that kind of spiritual approach and looking inward a little bit, they're digging in and going, whoa, whoa, there's a lifetime of stuff in there. What do I do with that? Yeah. I, um, yeah, no, I, I, I think there's a real crisis for men, and I think it has a lot to do with why fa why families are suffering mm -hmm. is because the father doesn't know. I think a lot of times doesn't know how to play a role, um, and there's. I don't. I I think that the stuffing of emotion is true. I think there's many generations of holding in. But what I have found, and it's been just the last couple of years that I've, I've, I've kind of been studying more the men's movement and studying more men's psychology and then like experimenting with not doing the same psychotherapy approach and starting to think, well, maybe men need a different approach. Mm. And what I've come to is like that, and this could be controversial, but it's like that men really need other men. I don't disagree with that. Men need other men to open up to. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, as I kept studying, I learned like the, you know, the word toxic masculinity that actually came out of the men's movement in the 1980s. Like people like Robert, I think it might've been Robert Bly who coined the term, who was one of the founders of the men's movement. Mm -hmm. The argument was that the way in which men since the 50s have less felt a prominent role in family and community as a primary pl place of finding purpose versus outside the home, 
achievement mm-hmm. and less um, less connection with other men, they're actually not getting that masculine competitive energy out in community mm-hmm. and, and it's going unchecked. Yep. It becomes yep. toxic. So the toxicity comes not because men need to become less masculine, meaning masculinity is bad, but it's actually a lack of masculine connection. You know, mm-hmm. like men being in, there's a, there's a, there's a um, famous book called Bowling Alone that shows you know, that men used to have at least one place, a third space that they spent with other men doing competitive things. So it's actually having less of an outlet, yeah. um, you know, and, you know, you play sports, you play bowling, you do something, and then you're, you know, sitting together and you're, ha- you're talking and you're opening up with each other. So it's actually men not opening up with each other as much. Mm-hmm. Um, so interesting. Yeah. Well, I wonder too, because I, I feel like for a lot of boys and men, and I'd love you to speak to this, that you know, often the only, I don't, I don't want to say this so generally, but the, maybe the emotion there, the default emotion, let's put it that way, is often anger. That one feels the least scary or the, the, you know, of all the emotions human beings can feel, anger is probably the least awful one that you can feel, right? Yeah. So when they're scared, they get angry. When they're angry, they get angry. When they're tired, they get angry. When they feel powerless, they get angry. Um, and, and they don't have those outlets. And and what I see in the parenting world is this, which is happening everywhere in the world is this polarization, right? So you have one parent that's like, come on, it's not the child's fault. He's hungry. He's tired. Their things are tough these days. And the other parent, often the dad, but not always is like, this is ridiculous. These kids are out of control. There's no, nothing makes sense in this house. These kids are rude. And, and they're both right. There's truth is absolutely in the middle. You know, right. you can't have your kids being rude and screaming and yelling. You're, that's not healthy. That's not good for anyone. Um, dads want their kids to be have tools for life and and yeah. be ready for the world and get out there and have some, you know, some skills to kind of manage. And then that other side of like, you've got to understand that behavior is not the problem. It's the symptom of a problem and what's going on. But But there's a nuance in the middle. There's a dialectic in the middle. And so I think there's a beautiful balance there if you can recognize what's what's beautiful and strong in the other person's approach. Then you can have conversations instead of confrontations. Right. And that polarizing happens all the time at home. And I think often men, either common dynamic, um, dynamic that I see is women over-functioning. They see yep. their husband as the fourth child, talk to them like a child. I told you to do this and why can't you do that? And there's, and this sort of, and then the husband just kind of retracts into being silly or being this Disney dad or, or being helpless and not doing anything at all. Um, And then there's fighting. And then the wife is upset because there's not enough support and the husband isn't doing enough, but the husband doesn't do it right. Or if he does do it, it wasn't the way she wanted it and it gets redone. It's just a really complicated dynamic and, and children are just wide eyed and watching. Right. They're watching all of this. Right. This is, this is a whole, this is it. I mean, we can open this up, you know, it's like, yeah. And how do you fix that? Have you, yeah. I mean, I, I, like, I can tell you about my own journey and then how, how that journey has helped me help other men and other families. I I think that that I've, I've sat with as many people on one end as what you're talking about, which is like, you're not really seeing or hearing what's going on inside your kid you're just yeah. laying out the expectations and if and i was like your kid is depressed like that they're, they're that they're not being defiant they're actually you know In do, you pain. See, do you yeah. see yeah do you see the emotion but i've seen just as many people on the other end which is they've consumed a lot of the empathic based interventions only and they're being run around by the kids. The kids are running the house and it's like, and, and it's, you know, it's not working. And, and it is finding that middle. It's finding that, not the middle, but the integration. You know, if you're going to, I think, I think becoming a mature, healthy adult that has strong resilience is like cultivating a garden or cooking a good dish or mm-hmm. it's, it's, it's something we build, right? Yes. Yeah. And, and there's a sequence to it, right? You know, you don't, you don't, um, 
throw the chicken on the fire and then put the pan, you put the pan first, then the oil, then the chicken, you know, it's like, so there's a sequence, I think. Yeah. Um, I was really blown away when me and my wife were having these exact arguments and I heard Brene Brown talk about her research on compassion Mm -hmm. and the research she did with monks um, to try and find what are the components to cultivate that are the most important to cultivate compassion. And she was blown away because the, the number one factor they said was boundaries. Mm, that makes so much sense. Yeah, that you have to have boundaries in order to have compassion. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's, it's interesting too, because I feel like from the, in the parenting world, when parents are too much on the attachment side and too much on the compassion side, that's all they see. So that all behaviors are excused. Right. The kids don't like that. They will ask, they'll literally ask for boundaries. They, they'll ask for, yeah. They'll ask for it with behavior. They'll show you and ask any kid. Do you think that kid should be talking to their mother that way? They're like, Oh no, that's yeah. like the sense. Right. So that polarizing where parents pull and it's the parenting world is polarized and you, you either, you mostly see information that's on one side or the other. And I think that's where connected parenting is kind of unique. We're really about the integration. Yeah. Both. So like I teach parents, you're not even a parent. You're a substitute frontal lobe. Yeah. That's your job. You're a prosthetic frontal lobe. You have to organize, co-regulate, inhibit, motivate all of that stuff for your child, move them through time and space inhibit you know nasty behaviors irrelevant behaviors and kids don't feel safe when that's not happening yeah, so, yeah, no, yeah. You, you you actually I, you one of your lines really i loved a lot you said sometimes when when they're when they're bound pushing a boundary they're trying to find your midbrain yeah they're trying to know where wh- where where's you the stand. wall where's your wall where's you stand mm-hmm. it brings up i think this gets to the idea of morality um you know but I want to say something about like the boundary pushing, like with men. So men know this is like, if you're with a group of guys, if I push a little too hard, you know, I can joke like tease, we can push, you know, that's what play is. Play of is has yep. a little progression to it. Right. Yep. Um, if I push too far, the group's not going to let me do that. Yeah. The group you know, teaches you. Oh yeah, there's a group that balances your aggression. And that's why it's so healthy to be in groups in which you can be a little bit aggressive because it helps you learn your boundaries so that you can know where where to regulate, right? Yeah. And so if you don't have that in the home, then yeah, then you're gonna get, you know, the kids are gonna want, if if you believe that there shouldn't be anything as such as hierarchy, if you believe, I think, which is I think a utopian idea that there should be no hierarchy. Yeah. Soon you're going to see your kids. That's a dangerous are, idea. They're going to go in the dominant position because yeah. that's like saying that, well, anybody could fly the plane or we're all equally can drive the car. It's like, no, I need to know that you're the adult. That makes me feel very safe that I can't push you around. Yeah. Well, and there's a hierarchy in our own brain. <laughs> like we're, we're set up that way. Really what we're hoping to do is help children um, get themselves to a point where they can self-parent. Right. Right. And so, yeah, boundaries are hugely important. And that's why, you know, with the connected parenting model, of course, you start with compassion and empathy and listening and joining the person, the child in their space or the person in their space. And then you set boundaries, right? So that both sides of the parenting, security, safety, getting your kids ready, toughening them up a little bit, helping them get ready to handle the world that they've been born into. um, Is just as important as helping them be empathic, loving people who can understand compassion and empathy so it's an integration of those two things yeah which is which is so interesting and so it's helping men to find that middle and women to find that middle i think it was uh i'm trying to think who it was elizabeth uh what's her name she wrote let eat pray love elizabeth gilbert oh. yeah yeah i heard her speak once and she was talking about um and i love the way and i don't know if it was her concept or not but she was talking about um, profane males and profane females. And so she was talking about how, you know, like the profane male is, this is my house and you're going to do what I say and blah, blah, blah. Like, you know, really bossy and angry and sort of Archie Bunker type person. Yeah. And then you have the profane female, which is in direct response to that. Oh, it's okay. Don't worry. Don't make daddy mad. Like 
don't do this. You're going to upset yeah. your father. This kind of weird. So the, the female becomes more profane in response to the profane male. And the profane yeah. male becomes more profane because he sees this image back of like, oh my God, why is everyone you know looking at me like I'm a monster? And you end up like really kind of drawn in the middle. And so this idea of being a divine male, and it's, it's, uh, it's interesting because it's hard to find examples in media of that and a divine female. So the divine female would be, I mean, not a real person, but it's kind of an archetype, Mary Poppins, right? Mary Poppins doesn't yell at anybody. You just know, she just, you know, well, one, yeah, I mean, one thing that flipped me was thinking about things like the divine male and like when you say like, what, what's an archetypal, what is the archetypal male in a family? Like, what, what is the archetype of masculine energy? Yes, yes. It, it really helped me to understand it. It's actually the, the masculine energy is the one that gives. Yeah. That's the one that's giving. Yes, um, And feminine energy is receptive. Mm -hmm. So when you talked about what you see so much right now, which you know, mm -hmm. I, I want to say, yeah, me too, is, you know, the, the man who's like a kid and, and, and the, the wife is, you know, taking care of him and, and critical of him, everything he does. And it, the, the, the woman is the one who's giving. Yeah. It's the man who's in the receptive end. And yeah. um, how do you, I mean, I, I think when this is getting into like, you know, ideas in our culture around how to act, but like, for me, my way back home was starting to see like, my role is to take care. And I had to do a lot of detox, I think, around ideas about masculinity that have, have been around for the last few decades that I'm not supposed to take leadership. Like, don't be a guy- Or control everybody, right? To not be controlling, yeah. you know, you're, yeah. you're being controlling and, and, and all that. And it's like finding this line in which you're leading Mm -hmm. and you're providing and you're protecting and you're leading and, and, and it is in my hand is like pointed it's directional you know it's like there is a better way to do things there yeah. are better and worse ways it's not we we've been living since the 1950s in a very morally relativistic sure. culture. like everything is equal you can't judge anything no hierarchy you know everything is just we make it up my truth and your truth Mm -hmm. Oh, and I, there, like you said earlier, you know, that there's a, the brain has a hierarchy. Yeah. Well, that, that goes against a predominant theory. I think that we passively kind of have lived in is like that everyone is a blank slate. Yeah. It's a blank slate. You know, you're yeah. just an empty box. Mm -hmm. You're an empty box and we're all the same and we can shape from the outside everything. So then if I just, I'm always positive, then my kid will always feel good and they'll always do great. Right. And the, the right? truth there is if you're always positive and there's never any upset, if there's never any conflict, if there's never any challenges, the brain isn't actually going to grow the hardware that it needs to handle right. trouble when it comes. And guess what? Trouble always comes. Yeah. But see, this is the form or other. If you believe in the blank slate, then you avoid conflict. Because I don't want to ever introduce negativity. Don't be right. negative, right? But it's it, it's it, inherent in who we are, right? It's in who we are. We can't yeah. we can't live, be in a relationship without moral conversations. What was right? What was wrong? Yeah, what and that nuance. Yeah, everything is duality. Everything you can't have light without dark. You can't have happy without sad. And it's learning how to be in that world. And it's interesting because when we were talking about the divine male and the divine female, like when I'm thinking gro growing up, especially, and I don't even know now, like thinking about divine male role models in TV shows and programs, I had a really hard time thinking of any, I thought of one, remember that little house on the prairie? Yeah. You that have to dad. To find a man. It's really hard. The children's book, find a, it's, 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 you have to work to find a father in a children's book. Yeah. It's really tough. It it's really is. Tough. I can't, <laughs> even now I can't think of very many. I mean, yeah. there's, there are lots of men in real life who are beautiful, you know, loving, balanced fathers, but there's not a whole lot of imagery around that for young men or even girls. I once thought of, I, you know, I, I once thought I'm working on a book and one of the intros I've thought is like comparing Luke Skywalker and Iron Man, like, mm -hmm. you know, the male hero from the seventies versus the nineties, two thousands is like, 
Luke lived in a hierarchy. He, he, he had elders that he was turning to. He was struggling. He showed his anxiety, not as a symptom of anything, but like what it is to be human, which is- And to grow up. Yeah. I don't know what to do. What do I do? Talking to Obi-Wan, struggling with himself, you know? Look at Iron Man, just a wall, 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 wall. Yeah. A lot of condescension. So masculinity meant outer perfection, mm -hmm. impenetrability, invincibility. And then I think by the second or third in the series, he's known to have an anxiety problem because he's holding a lot in, right? Interesting. And, and it's, yeah. just, it's a very pathetic to me, adolescent model of masculinity then that we get, you know? Um, which I think describes a lot of what's happening in our society is that we don't have elders. And so I agree back to community you, again, right? Yeah, you, need, you need elders for adolescents to become adults. Yes. You know, that I could explain that uh, if we had a longer time, but it's, you, you can't become an adult without an elder. It's just like, and it works. It's impossible. <laughs> yeah. And so we have, we're not getting past adolescence, which just means endless competitiveness to prove myself. So you've got 40, 50 year old people that are still striving and striving and striving. And that lack of peacefulness is a lot of what they're bringing into the home, I think. Yep. You know? Yeah. Lack of wisdom. Right. Lack and of big wisdom. picture. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and we're certainly in a very youth obsessed culture right now, very youth obsessed and not a lot of uh, value and emphasis on what living a long life and experience actually brings so and i'm not sure we're and this is a whole other direction but i'm trying to figure out how can we first we have to figure out ourselves but how can we raise kids to see these nuances to see that things are never black and white and ne almost never yeah. it's there's always gray and nobody likes gray no one's comfortable with you know that confusion in the middle but that is life life itself is in that middle, in your own brain. Do I want to eat that whole cake? I shouldn't. Like you're constantly setting boundaries and limits and checking yourself. Um, yeah. I mean, what you're talking to, like to build on what we're talking about, I think what you're saying is to go from information to wisdom. Mm -hmm. So, like, we live in the world, like, people say, oh, we live in the world of data and information. Like, we're consuming so much information. We're kind of going crazy from it because we don't know how to order it into valuable and invaluable. There it is, hierarchy. And that's what yeah. wisdom is. Wisdom is that, which is that there actually is, there are better and worse ways of doing things. But you don't know that. And it's a knowledge that's attained through experience. That's what the elder has. They have experience, they have knowledge gain through experience and i think that and now we're getting a little bit into the the hope model and what we do at lameda good hope being the clinic is you have to heal yourself you have and the the, the brain you said earlier the brain has hierarchy so that's right so we, there's actually a flow in which the brain processes information and it's bottom up mm -hmm. first we self-regulate then we co-regulate which is regulating in community Mm -hmm. And then we regulate through ideas. So actually the thinking part of our brain is last. Yes. Right. Yeah. So the, most of us don't realize that, but that's very yeah. true. So your friend sitting in the garage, spending 10 minutes is doing the right thing. It's like, first I've got to regulate, right? Mm -hmm. The mistake is then to go in there and start lecturing, right? That's ideas. Mm -hmm. You regulate yourself, then you co-regulate, then you come I in love and, that. and you connect. Yeah. Now, here's the thing is connection is moral. Mm. Connection is moral. So empathy is valuable because that's, that's one important value along with personal responsibility and all these other values. But it's like we, we connect first through emotion, but emotions are moral. There's a guy, Darren Keltner at uh, the Science of Goodness in Berkeley who's studying this that shows that emotion is embodied and moral. It's this mechanism in which mammals are able to form community, which is that we feel each other, we sense each other. And all of that is around morality. Morality just being like, what are the rules so that we can feel fair and trust each other so that we can rely on each other? Like that's what it is to be in community is to rely on each other, depend on each other, which means that we go by a certain set of rules that we all agreed on, right? That's why your point you've said that I love is like if your you, your other kids will say 
that's not right what that kid's doing. That's mm-hmm. what kids are watching more than anything. Like, what are the rules here? Yeah. Right? Are we fair? Do we do we go by a set of rules that I can have faith in and trust? Mm-hmm. You know? Um, so, yeah, so it starts with the self. I think when you said, like, what do parents, I think it's parents have to heal themselves. Yeah. I yeah. think, that, you know, it's not, and whether it's, whether it's taking that 10 minutes, but it's also like, what accumulation of trauma and grief or shame have I carried? Have, mm-hmm. Am I the recipient of in my family? You know, we've been on a material binge since yeah. the 1950s. Absolutely. Uh, like unprecedented growth and material gain. And I yep. think this is kind of like, I think this is what it's like. It's like the morning after a party, you know, like yeah. we've had a lot of fun the last 70 years, yeah. you know. Un, you know the, the most growth ever in history absolutely growth Exponential. But, but we did but part of how we got there is to dissociate and compartmentalize yeah. a lot yeah. of stuff and we I went think so too. we're very communal to being very individualistic i think that's like the oh absolutely yeah to me that's what we're going to look back and see is like i think the, so too the boomers in the 50s they initiated individualism and I really think that kind of explains a lot of it. That yeah. and the blank slate theory. Well, actually- that and, it, and we also have confused pleasure and happiness like wildly, at least yeah. right now in our culture. Like they're very different things. Yes. Yeah. Things, right? So yeah. seeking pleasure all the time. And it's certainly when you add social media and video games and online shopping and Uber Eats to your door and all of that stuff, that's a big piece of it. But you know, really understanding that happiness doesn't come from things, it comes from community, comes from hugs and snuggles. You're not going to lie in your deathbed and think, oh, I'm so glad I bought that whatever. And I'm glad I got the promotion. You're going to lie there and think about your children and picnics and joys and graduations and moments, right? Collecting moments. And we've lost that somewhere along the way. Yeah. I think. And that's a... Yeah, I know that that's... That's, um, I think that sequence again, the brain, the bottom up, like the promotion feels great. It's like, I've, I've, I've done a talk in front of a group of people and felt really connected to myself and my family, my community. And I'm up there and I'm doing like my life's work and I feel really fulfilled, Mm -hmm. fulfilled by that. Yeah. And I, and I can seek pleasure in that moment. And it's great because I'm in flow. I'm in flow. And I yes. think that's the bottom up thing. I've also gone up and I've done a talk and I really like bombed earlier that day with my wife. I dropped a ball on something or my, you know, with my kids, I, I was putting my talk ahead of, it's like, I'm going to do a talk about community, but I'm actually being a jerk at home. <laughs> right. And you feel totally empty. You feel, well, and you know what the difference uh, is? The difference there is one in the first one, you were in a state of love that came from a place of love. I love my family. I love my community. I love what I do. I love this audience. I love sharing what I have. And the other one came from fear, right? I got to do what, and this isn't just you. This is all of us, right? When we do, even if it's a painting we buy, oh, I'm put this painting on the wall and people are going to think I'm so sophisticated and they're going to think I have such great taste and and I have money. And that painting on the wall is never going to give you anything. Never. Putting that painting on the wall because you love it because you want to support the artist, because you want to teach your children about beauty, because you look at it and it just makes you happy. Yeah. That yeah. will give you joy, right? Yeah, yeah but I want to I wanna provide, provide a nuance there. Like, if to, to me, I think the, the, what really gets us a lot these days is individualism. And like, you're right. that being selfish. And so for well, me- Well, that's, that's where buying the painting so you look fancy comes from, right? Who can I impress? What I was going to say is um, fear is what helped me course correct in my life. Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. whoa, you know, really seeing that, like, I'm getting it wrong with my kids. I'm getting it yeah. wrong with my wife, yeah. you know, and fear was really important there, actually. Of course. So I want to yeah. say fear is, I think, a, 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 an appropriate emotion, too. And, you know, fear, we, we wouldn't exist without fear. Fear is yeah. incredibly important. Yeah. But what you, you and there's there's healthy fear and then there's toxic fear, right? Right. There's a healthy fear or healthy shame that yeah. okay I'm out, of, I'm out of sync with my community. 
I'm not who I want to be in this moment. I'm not kind of lined up with who I want to be. And that icky feeling is like your, I don't know, your GPS system. It's giving you, it's letting you know. Yeah. Right? Yeah. I think, yeah. I think yeah. what you're talking about is how is, is the, is the, the moment in parenting when you're, you're being driven by fear. Yes. And you're becoming aggressive or you're neglecting. And kids know it. They can feel it. Yeah. That that goes back to that structure in the brain too, is that, so fear is fight or flight. Mm -hmm. Fight or flight is in the brainstem. It's in that lower part of the brain where we self-regulate. Love is an emotion. We, We can't connect if we're not regulated. We can't, you can't have love if you're not regulated. You can't, otherwise you're being nice. You're yeah, protected. which is that, and that can be toxic. Nice is not always so nice. Right. So yeah. that goes back to that sequence that we talk about at Lameda, which is community and then yeah. purpose. Self-community, so you have to be regulated. And that's where, if we have trauma from childhood, previous generations, or, or other experiences we've had, you have to heal your own trauma in the brainstem. Absolutely. Or you can connect with others authentically. Yeah. Otherwise, and here's a clue. Here's a clue. If you're if if you're on the wrong track, if loving with your kids or your spouse or anybody feels tiring, mm. if it feels like you're working to connect, if it's one of those things where you're like, I'm doing this. This is love, love, love. But like, I need a break because that you're disconnected you know, yourself. I, I need to not that I'm being on right. That's when you're not, that's when you're overriding your brainstem where, where you're not regulated and it's performative, you know, and exhausted by that is like performative acts of love mm-hmm. where mm-hmm. you're trying to fill someone's cup. I don't like that. This idea of filling someone's cup mm-hmm. you don't need to fill each other's cups. Like mm-hmm. that's, that's, um, codependent. No, you kind of have to just be plugged in, right. In some ways. So. I want to leave people too with some ideas of what they can do. So let's see, let's use the garage analogy. So I'm thinking parent comes home or the mother comes home or whoever it is, they've had a, a hard day. They're sitting in the garage. What I think is so important. And I want you to add to this is that you sit in the garage, hand on your heart and sit there and go, this is what it feels like to be tired, to have performed all day, to you know, not have enough time in the day to have had it, you know, painful childhood, whatever, let yourself feel self-love there. Like mother yourself a little bit. It's okay to just feel tired. It's okay to not want to go in those doors. Yeah. That's really human. That's okay to feel that way. Cry if you have to let yourself feel it, connect to that, take a breath yeah. and then go inside and try to connect to your family and what their day was like. And then the teaching part, the lessons, right? That's, so that's I'd love true. for you to add to that because I think that's an important piece for people to hear. Yeah, no, I, yeah, I think you got it really well. I mean, I think like that, that the, um, you know, what we teach at, at, at Hope and at Lameda through the nonprofit is this structure of the brain. Um, very inspired by Bruce Perry, a child psychiatrist who was teaching, you know, that we, the, the brain operates bottom up. It's it's regulate, then relate, then reason. It's take care that. of your own brain stem, which is where stress is regulated. And we know this, like if you don't, if you're dysregulated, you can't connect authentically, right? So yeah, absolutely. you regulate. So the first thing, and that's in the body. So first it's like just breathing mm-hmm. and that's, you go, okay, now I'm present and now I'm aware that I'm feeling the way I'm feeling. Mm-hmm. Is, you know, you, you know, if you remember being a kid and you see the adult who's like, I'm doing great. And you're like, no, you're not. You're stressing me out because you're really stressed. So this is like in the garage. Where am I? I got to first regulate. Where am I? OK, I'm feeling these feelings. Um, yeah. And, yeah, and I think being loving with yourself is like validating. I'm human. I think the yes. biggest thing I see parents I think everybody work through is shame. This yeah. like, we're 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 we're. Um, well, and, and shame is necessary. You need healthy shame. You just don't need toxic shame. Yeah. Right? And the difference with toxic shame is I think what a lot of people are living with today is this feeling like I have to be perfect. Yes, absolutely. But in, because inside I feel not good enough all the time. Yeah. So I love the mantra permission to be human. I have permission to be human. 
I like that too. You can really repair toxic shame that way is, and, um, and then I, so then it's like regulate, relate reason, then reasoning through like going in the house and it's like, this is a, you know, a shit show or <laughs> yeah. you know, it's like, sit with your spouse, pull it, like, let's, let's take an afternoon, regulate, relate with each other and say, what's going on? What are we not, what, what's going on that are, that, that things are so chaotic in our home? Yeah. Uh, what can we do differently, you know, is to be willing to, and then I think, you know, if, it's, if you're a traditional family, um, mother, father, or whatever, whatever is the, the, the makeup, but I do think those masculine and feminine energies are both. They come really, in anyway. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. They come in anyway, whatever it is, but I think like bring the two together and like i would you know we talked about this in our prep call is like i think the worst outcome is that we got rid of the village and then there's two parents the worst outcome of that is then they blame each other yeah and they're so stressed out and not so out, and, then, yeah. and then they blame each other you know and i think it's like that's the saddest part of it is like rather than saying what a heroic goddamn thing excuse my language that no it's great like, what a heroic ability, like well, how heroic are we that we're running this together? Yeah. And, but, like but if that. you come from the standpoint of like, everything's supposed to be wonderful and perfect. And therefore, if it's not, then we're messed up and we messed up. Yeah. And then all I'm left to do is say, well, you messed up more. You're being too tough or you're being too soft. Right. Exactly. So the masculine energy is saying you're being too soft. The feminine is being too tough. And I think like, that's, that's like saying, you know, you don't need, it's like, you can't, you need it both. You need and both. And you need it in, together. you need it in balance together. and, and integration. Together. And I think, I, and I think that the boundary, the research shows the boundaries come first. And that doesn't mean it's more important. It's actually kind of the other way around. It's like the cup is what holds the water. The water is what you're drinking. Such a good right? analogy. Yeah. Like the boundaries are not what's more important. The boundaries are like, that's like the stage setup so that you can perform the play. The play is the love. The play is the connection, but you can't have the connection unless you have proper boundaries. You're absolutely right. right? It's, so I use the, the yeah, view oh, the boundaries as like the, the setup. Absolutely. It's funny. I, I use the analogy with families that it's like standing in a canoe, right? You're both standing in a canoe. You can't overcorrect the other person. You're going to, you're going to end up in the water, right? It's sort of standing there and knowing that it's this constant little, little balance, little dance. And, and you touched on something so important, which I think is such a huge part of what's going wrong for, you know, all of, a lot of people right now is that the idea that you have to be perfect, that if, and no home, no matter what you do, it's still going to kind of be a shit show sometimes in your house. That's, that's life. That's parenting. Kids are learning how to be adults. They're yeah. learning how to practice everything that's going to happen in life in your home. Like that's what it is. Yeah. And there's going to be moments of great joy and there's going to be moments of horrendous frustration. It'll take you to the highest of highs and the lowest of lows. And you have to kind of have that eagle eye view, keep your humor, have that kind of loving detachment sometimes, which yeah. is the wisdom part, you know, that, you know, it's 10 years, it's a flash. Your kids are off to college and like, where's everybody, right? It really yeah. does happen that fast. And it really is about operating from a place of love and this idea. I love this idea of this hierarchy. I think this is brilliant. Um, and that it's about integration. It's not about perfection. No, no it never I, was. Yeah. Yeah, no, I think, yeah. And I want, you said, you know, sometimes it is going to be crazy. And I said, go for a walk. And if, if it's crazy, say, what are we, what do we got to do differently? Yet not to strive for perfection, not to be idealistic about it, yeah. but to, you know, but to, but to at least take a walk and, and get a breath and say, what are we, what can we do better but start with what are we doing well and maybe even start with not even judging anything and just enjoy the walk i just the walk exactly the and then walk. if you are i love what you just said talk about where do we where what do we both believe we want our kids to be happy we want them to be healthy we want them to have a voice we want them to be safe like start with where you agree yeah. i mean most parents it does come from a place of love it's just they have very different approaches and which are op often complementary to each other it's actually kind of perfect you need both sides yeah so. yeah wow well thank you this has been an amazing conversation we certainly i don't know how 
we, we barely scratched the surface, I think, of what families are going through. Do you have any, you know, last words, things you want to share with people before we end the conversation today? Um, yeah, I think take, take care of yourself first. Yeah. Well, I, I, you know what, if I have one plug, it's unplug. Oh, I love that. Yeah. You know, like I'm Jewish, Judaism has Shabbat, Buddhism has mindfulness meditation. Every tradition, every wisdom tradition says, be careful, find like you have to institute a boundary. Yes. And some quiet on a ritual time and a ritual basis on a daily basis, weekly basis, where you disconnect Mm -hmm. the outside, because, you know, you could, you could disconnect, take a walk and then suddenly see things were not as bad. Things are not as off. You get perspective, you know, it's, so that's what I would leave. Nothing, no, no, no big esoteric profound thing. Actually, just like find a way to unplug on a regular basis. Yeah. Because I love that. We should all we, do that. We will see things really differently. You know, we didn't talk about this, like suicide rate with teens doubled since social media in 2009. Oh, absolutely. Doubled between 10 and 14 year olds, tripled between 2009 and 19 pre-COVID. But in the window that social media came online, 10 to 14 year olds tripled the suicide rate. We didn't have time to talk about it, but the, but the evidence is so clear at social media. It's social media and, and it comes back to boundaries, right? Yeah, boundaries. Exactly. We're going to look back and say we were putting, letting kids smoke in the house. Well, pretty much. I mean, you have age limits on alcohol, you have it on pornography and movies, restricted movies, everything, but not social media. So there's a really big boundary. I feel like that's a whole other conversation. I would love to have you come back and we can talk about that. Maybe I think that's, that's a that big, that. big topic. It goes, there's so much to say about that. Yeah. So much to say about that. And I guess the little piece for parents right now is be that frontal lobe, like watch what your kids are paying attention to set limits. Don't let them have some of the social media stuff too early. Honestly, it's, yeah, it's important. It's shaping the brain. It's changing the human brain. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I, and, and I think the mistake is to wait for others to regulate it. Uh, that's true. The, yeah. There's a lot of evidence that um, the the evidence on the teen suicide is that liberal families actually have almost double the rate of teen suicide. Wow. The families, yeah, and we could we could talk about like why would that be? I think one factor is that conservative families are going to be more likely to take personal responsibility around limit setting. Mm-hmm. Whereas Liberal families tend to focus on, well, how can the government legislate this? Mm-hmm. Waiting, I don't, I, I don't think waiting for the government to, you know, corporations to get sued, even though right now 39 state attorney generals are doing a class action suit to sue Meta, who owns Instagram. Mm-hmm. Great, but hold the boundary in your own home. Don't wait for Absolutely. that. Well, yeah. and don't, don't, one of the things that your kids will always say to you is nobody, nobody else's parents do this. No one else cares. You're the only parent. It doesn't matter. Be the only parent then be the only parent and, and have your kid put the phone down, put the social media down and come and watch TV. Even with you play a board game, go for a walk, bake, do something. You got to do it right. You got to do it yourself first. You have to do it. Absolutely. Yourself first. Absolutely. And your kids are going to push back. They're going to freak out like, like crack addicts. They're going to roll around on the floor screaming because you're taking it away. Right. Which should be to you the like, this is exactly Exactly. why I'm doing the right thing. If they're freaking out, it means you're doing the right thing. Absolutely. This is a big conversation. Well, I would love to have you back and actually that I think that's huge. Yeah, absolutely. Wonderful. Wonderful takeaways. Oh, it was um, delightful. Thank yeah, you for being on the show. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. I'll make a plug for, you know, my clinic, Hope Integrative Psychiatry. Yes. We're in Northern California and Southern California. And the nonprofit I created in 2019 with my wife, LaMeda Project, that we, we work in schools and organizations to teach people these methods where you can heal yourself naturally through the power of community. Um, I love it. And where can people find you? Um, you can find me at uh, 
hopepsychiatry.com, and then there's Lameda Project, L-A-M-A-I-D-A dot uh, org, O-R-G. Uh, Fantastic. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you for this conversation and all the wonderful work you're doing in the world. And we'll hope to see you again. Thank you so much, Jennifer. Okay. Bye. Thank you so much for listening today. I hope you enjoyed the conversation as much as I did. I will definitely have Dr. Nayim back to uh, have a part two to our discussion today. For more information about Connected Parenting, please go to connectedparenting.com. There's information on our team. We have a whole team of therapists and practitioners. Um, my books are on there as resources. We have a number of online courses that are really an online support system for you to help you in your connected parenting journey. And I will see you all next time on the next episode of Connected Parenting.